Well, good morning again. Good morning. It's certainly, once again, good to stand before you and give a word. I do want to make a slight correction in one of the announcements that he made in regards to our Operation Warmth. We're collecting jackets and coats for those who are in need, and we're going to set the cutoff date for October the 30th and not December the 30th, okay? We need coats now, so if you do have those, please bring those and drop them off in our vestibule in the rear of our church. It's an opportunity for us to just be a blessing to others. Well, we are going to continue our series this morning that we've entitled Joyful. This time of the year is difficult for me. It's difficult because it's getting darker sooner. And when it gets darker sooner, it's also getting cold. I then have to take my workout inside. I'm the kind of person that likes to run outside, to ride my bike outside, to enjoy outside weather. And when it gets dark and cold, I'm then forced to work out in my basement. Now, I'm blessed with a number of gym equipment in my basement, and I say it's a blessing for a couple of reasons. The, the reason why it's a blessing is because most of the equipment that I have in my basement was free. That's right. It was free. See, my neighbor across the street, uh, we've talked a lot, and I spent some time in his basement, and I noticed that he had this treadmill. The treadmill had dust on it. And I said, do you ever use this treadmill? He said, no, I don't really use the treadmill, but if you really want it, you can have it. I said, well, are you sure? He said, yeah, you can have it. I, I'm not using it. So I took his treadmill. My neighbor across from me was putting out her trash for the trash truck to come and get it, and she had out there this rowing machine. And I thought, man, this thing looks brand new. So I knocked on her door, and I said, hey, I see that you, you're putting out the row machine for the trash. And she said, yeah, and I said, what, is it working okay? Is it broken? She said, no, there's nothing wrong with it. And I said, okay, you mind if I take your rowing machine? She said, sure, you can take it. So I took a rowing machine. My neighbor next to me <laughs> was moving, moved everything out of the house except this all-in-one gym workout system. I mean, this, it had all types of pulleys and stuff on it. Everything is taken out of the house except that. I said, man, what are you, why is this still here? He said, you know, I'm just going to leave it for the, the person who purchases the home. He said, it's, I just never really used it. I said, um, you mind if I take it over to my house? And he's like, yeah, if you want to take it apart, you can put. So by the end of this year, I have a mini uh, sort of Planet Fitness right there in my basement, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm liking this. Truth is, most people buy this gym equipment with the every intention to allow that equipment to transform their bodies, right? But life just gets in the way. Different challenges they have in life, and then working out ends up falling further and further down that list of priorities that we need to get accomplished. Life is sort of that way too, isn't it? Yeah. When we're young, we have these dreams about accomplishing a number of things, and then life happens. We live in a dark and fallen world. We end up being uh, working, maybe overworking at a job. Bills start coming in. We start having kids. That gets busy. And we end relationships. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people and they, they're 
up in age, they look over their shoulder and they're seeing untapped potential in their life. They're seeing unfulfilled dreams. But here's what I want you to know this morning is that God has a purpose and plan for your life. And you don't want to miss it. And I really believe that you're here today because you want to hear from him and, and you know that God has something for you to accomplish. But it's going to require you to work out. But he wants to make your workout joyful and not just a drudge getting through life, but growing through life. So today I want to share with you a message that I've entitled Joy in the Workout. Joy in the Workout. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for the series that we're in about being joyful. God, I ask that you would just help us to study a word this morning, open up our hearts and our ears so that we might hear from you, that we might experience joy by learning the timeless principles and lessons that you have given us in your word. God, we ask this in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, most of you know by now that we are in the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 12 and try to work our way to verse 18. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can go ahead and begin to flip through that. I want to give you some brief background for those of you who are just maybe tapping into this series. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter while he's in house arrest in Rome. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. We know that he's familiar with these people because he planted that church. And he opens up this letter uh, telling them that he's experiencing joy. Not joy because he's incarcerated, but joy because his message continues to go forward. People are even more emboldened to share the gospel because he's in prison. So he's experiencing this joy. And then in chapter 2, he says, make my joy complete by don't minding your own business. I talked about that last week, but instead he wants us to put our interest on others to make sure that others are taken care of. And so he gives us the example in, of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ put your interest above himself and that he gave himself. He gave his life so that we might be in a relationship with him. And then he picks this, this next passage of Scripture up. We'll take a look at it in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When Paul writes this letter, it's not a letter of rebuke. Um, he's not upset with them. He's actually thanking them for a gift that they had given him. They have supported him in an unwaver, really unwaveringly. They continue to support and encourage him in his ministry no matter where he was. But you kind of get a sense that at this point in the letter, he realizes that he might be incarcerated longer than he anticipated, and he may never see the church at Philippi again. So he now tells them, not only are you obedient, but I need you to continue to be obedient and do what I've asked you to do. He's telling them to work out their salvation. And when he says work out their salvation, he's saying work out as, as a practical implication of the fact that they're already saved. 
It's important that you understand what he means when he says that, work out. The Apostle Paul writes to a number of churches, and he always expressed that you cannot work for your salvation. It's not something that you can work for, you can merit or earn. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he clearly spells this out. He says, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself, right? He says, it's a gift. It's a God's gift. So it's, it's something that he gives to us. It's not something that we should be boasting about. He says, not from work so that no one can boast. So no amount of good works um, is that you can do to eradicate your sin. We all sin. We all have this. And we serve a holy and just God. And that means that it demands that the penalty of sin be paid for. Every other religion except for biblical Christianity has a form of merit or a merit system within their belief. And in order to believe this merit system, they have to believe in one of two things, and that is, one, that you have the right to set your standard, and then you hit your standard in order to make, you know, make God happy or pleased with you. Uh, this would mean that you're your own God. The other way is that you would just lie to yourself and say, well, I'm perfect and I sort of meet the requirement. But Christianity is very different. Christianity basically says that, no, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. But God is holy and just, but he's also gracious and loving. And so God gives his one and only son for us to pay for the penalty of sin. And Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of mankind and it is by faith in his works and not in our works that we are now saved. But Paul says here to work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. There's a difference. When he gives us this description here, work out is an English, two English words that come from one Greek word. And that one Greek word is katagosomai. That word means to produce it means to accomplish. And in ancient times, that word was used for what we should do with a mind or a field. So a field really has no use. But if you cultivate that field, if you plant seeds in that field, if you water that field, it will eventually produce something. So he's saying in this particular verse that we have to go through a process that we call sanctification, which means that we need to work out what God has for us so that we might produce something. Are you with me? Yeah, so we produce fruit. Jesus calls it fruit. And this fruit is our good works that we do based on expressing his character or expanding his kingdom for his glory. So God calls us to a work that we're supposed to be accomplishing. So God calls us from something, but he calls us to something as well. Our spiritual walk with God is a spiritual run. It's a race that we have to run. And we're spiritually running from something, but we're also spiritually running to something. See, when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin, but Satan wants to continue to entangle you with sin, to keep you from running. 
So he does everything that he possibly can to keep you from being transformed into the image of God, which is to be holy and right and righteous. That's a process that God is taking us through. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Just look at it real quick. He says, so then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So this holiness, he says, bring this holiness to completion in your life. It's a process of transformation. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's something that God does in us, that we're transformed to look more like him. I remember when my son was turning three years old, we decided to have a surprise sort of birthday party for him, and we did the Elmo theme. My son liked Elmo, so we thought, let's do an Elmer birthday party for my son, TJ. A part of this party in the celebration, I decided to go rent this costume of Elmo. And I put it in the garage. I remember we were celebrating his birthday. We had a bunch of kids from the neighborhood over. They were having a great time. I slipped off into the garage, put on that Elmo outfit, came to the front door, knocked on the door. And my son opened up the door. And he's like, it's Elmo. And I had the voice and everything like, hey, everybody, you know, it's Elmo, you know. And, and the kids are like, oh, this is great. I took a couple steps and I realized I couldn't see real, real well. And I'm about to fall over kids who are in front of me. I'm like, hey, everybody, let's go have some fun, you know. And the kids are like, come on. I immediately started sweating. I mean, profusely sweating. I thought I was going to die in this costume. And I remember saying to myself, okay, how am I going to handle it? I said, Elmo's going to pass out right now. <laughs> you know? The kids are like, what's wrong with Elmo? What's wrong with Elmo? <laughs> My wife is like, Elmo's going to go in the garage right now. So I went to the garage. I took off this big helmet. I'm sweating. And I thought to myself, okay, this is not for me, right? When we get saved, sometimes Satan wants us to put on this you know, sin that holds us back and entangles us. And we can't move in it. We fall over ourselves when we're trying to accomplish the will of God. And Satan is the one that's laughing at us. He says in this particular passage, bringing holiness to completion. That means that we're running from something, but we're running to something. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, the apostle Paul says that we ultimately need to be fleeing from youthful lust or passions but pursue after righteousness. Notice he's saying flee from something, run from something, but you need to be running towards something too. That's righteous works into doing the right thing. Sounds like a workout, doesn't it? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice he says, work out your own salvation. So there's two parts here. I talked about the first part, that we all have to be running away from sin. That is that God wants us to ultimately bring holiness to completion in our lives. So we're running away from that. You've got to ask yourself right now, what is it that God wants you to run away from? Perhaps it's an app that you're involved in. It could be a TV show. It could be uh, anything that's holding you back. There's some people in your life 
that you might need to get rid of because they're weighing you down or entangling you. You can't function the way God has designed for you to function. But then he wants us to not only run from that, he wants us to run towards righteousness and uh, uh, run uh, towards righteousness and righteous works. And he uses this term here, your own. Look at, he says, he says, work out your own salvation. That means that God has given us all an individual assignment that we're all supposed to accomplish. Jesus is the head of the church, right? And, then, and, and we are his body or body parts. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that their body is made up of many parts and we all have our own particular function. The Apostle Paul had a function in the, this New Testament church. His function was to preach the gospel, specifically to the Gentiles. He knew what his assignment was, and he wouldn't allow anyone to stop what God has called him to do. He even says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified for the prize. Now, let me just say this. When he's talking about the prize, he's not talking about salvation. Um, he's talking about this judgment seat of Christ that happens in the scriptures. It's actually called the Bema seat. And there we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, that we, in fact, once we're saved, we'll get to heaven and God will reward us for these things. But what Paul is saying here is that he has his mind fixed on what God called him to do. He clearly understands what his assignment is. And he's like, I am setting my sights on that course and I'm not gonna deviate from it, no matter what. He's not stuck in titles either. He opens up this particular letter saying that he is a servant of God. Yeah, he, he understands that his service, it's the work that he's been called to do, which is most important and not necessarily his title. Sometimes we get stuck in titles. We're searching for titles and can miss our assignment. God's called us to do a work. What is the work that God called you to do? We're all supposed to be running away from sin, but what specifically has God called you to do? What is your assignment? If you were to write it down, could you write it down? We want to help you out with this. We're actually going to have a workshop for you if you're not sure what your assignment is or you need some clarity in it. Um, the, the workshop is called Find Your Place. We're going to start this off in November, and we want to encourage you to register for it. You can register for it through your app or on our website. Just register for it, and it's just going to be a study that we do on Sunday mornings right after the 930 service. You can go to this workshop. It's just three sessions, and you'll learn about your gifts. You'll learn about your passions that God has placed in you, and you'll also look back at your story because all of those things will ultimately point to God's divine assignment for your life. What has God called you to? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This message, I have really one point for you. And that point is to work out his plan for your life. Work out his plan for your life. And there's a certain 
way that we need to do this. He says, do it with fear and trembling. When Queen Victoria was only 11 years old, she remembered that the family had gathered to the house on this one particular day. They had a meal, and then her uncle William told all the people that was in the house to come to this one room. He then came into the room with this family tree chart. He placed it on the little rosewood table, and little Victoria got on her knees and used her finger to begin to scroll through the names on this family tree. And as she began to work her way to the bottom of the chart, she started seeing names that she was familiar with. She says, oh, look, there's Uncle George. That was King George IV, who was gravely ill at the time. She says, oh, there's Uncle William, who was next in line. And then she stopped and she froze because she saw her name. Her eyes got big and she slowly stood up. And she faced everyone as if she was standing in attention. And she says, I, I will be good. I will be good. See, in that very moment, she understood the responsibility that she would have. There was a sense of awe. There was a sense of reverence for what she was now called to do at one point in her life. And when the Apostle Paul writes this particular passage, he's saying that you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There should be a sense of awe. There should be a sense of reverence to God. And for the assignment that you have been given because it has an eternal impact in the lives of other people. We should be able to face our assignment and say, okay, I will, I will be good. I will be good. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. That seems to be a little bit scary. But in the next verse, he, he shows us that this can be joyful. Look at what he says in this verse 13. He says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. See, salvation is God's work in us through faith. But our sanctification is your work with God's help. God helps us to accomplish the task, which means that we don't have to do this, do this alone. He opened up this letter in Philippians 1, 6 by saying, being confident of this very thing that he that began a good work in you will accomplish it in, on the day of, of Jesus Christ. It's important that you understand that God is the one that started the work in you, and he's the one that's going to help you complete it. And that's where we begin to experience this joy, because we know that we don't have to do this alone. All we have to do is cooperate with the Holy Spirit that is indwelled within us. So when he tells us to do something, we just need to do it. A study in USA Today reported that 67% of gym memberships go unused. 67%. That's equivalent to $347 million of wasted money in gym memberships that are never used. I wonder how many people come to church and they don't run from anything, nor are they running towards anything. They're just there, sitting, taking it in, but not running towards anything that God has required of them. Here's the good news. This is another study that I, I read. The Journal of Sports Science and Medicine 
reported that just by having a personal trainer, you will then increase your chances by over 30% in meeting your goals. Over 30% just by having a personal trainer, because a personal trainer is going to do what? They're going to study you. They're going to get some information from you. They're going to write a script up based on your age, your weight, your body type, maybe pre-existing conditions that you might have. And they're going to write out a script to tell you what you're supposed to do in the gym. They're going to probably give you some nutritional guidance as to what you're also supposed to be eating. They'll be telling you what you should be running from, what you need to be running to. And the good news is that we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit, who is our personal trainer. That's the good news. He's with us. And what he does is he operates by saying, listen, I know everything about you. Your pre-existing conditions, I know how much I can push you. And just like a spotter that's in the gym that stands over you when you grab the weight and you try to pull it up, a, a, a trainer or a spotter will grab that weight and help you put it up on the bar. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us when we're completing the assignment that he set for us. And we feel like, okay, this is too weighty for me. The Holy Spirit comes in and he carries the weight for you. But he also challenges you. He pushes you. He says, you can do it. He gives you encouragement. And God gives us the free will to choose. So we can just be like, nah, I don't want to do that. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I need you to do this. The good news is that he gives us the power to accomplish it. He gives us the power to actually make that thing happen. What if we just said, nah, I don't want to do it? It defeats the purpose of having a trainer. We are being filled with the Holy Spirit, but if we tell God, nah, I don't want to do it, you're not going to get to, to uh, the opportunity to complete the assignment that he has for you. Kind of leads us to this next point here. It's really not a point. It's a, just two warnings that the Apostle Paul begins to point out. In verse 14, he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. So Paul understood if we are all focusing on bringing our holiness to completion, we're all focusing on the assignment the specific assignment that God has for us to achieve, that we all would be on one accord. We would be uh, having the same mind. We would accomplish this thing together. But he says we live in a crooked and perverted world. And that is the case today, that that, that is what, what's going on. And Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17. And his prayer for us is that the church would be one. And he says, when the church is one, then people will know that Jesus was sent because this crooked and, and perverted world is watching the church to see how we function. And he says here, do everything without grumbling or arguing. See, Paul warns us not to grumble and not to argue. The first step in stopping your workout is having a bad attitude, isn't it? Yeah, right. You start, I'm tired, I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. We start getting frustrated. And so we don't show up to, and we don't do the workout that God calls us to do. The trophy for the longest and most sustained whining goes to the nation of Israel, right? Some of you all know the story in the Old Testament. They leave Egypt and they grumble all the way to Mount Sinai. 
And then they spend 40 years whining and grumbling in the wilderness. They're unable to complete the assignment that God had given them and stay on course. Why? Because they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and they're whining. It's a problem. Now, we shouldn't just dismiss our problems with this blind optimism. I'm not saying do that. But we have to be careful to make sure that we're not sowing seeds of discord. Because when we do that, it takes us off track from what God has, has, has called us to accomplish. Look at verse 15. So the first warning was that we would be warned not to grumble and argue. But now look at what he says. Among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. He now mentions stars, and he also means that he also says that by holding firm to the word of life. Stars during that time was in indispensable uses for navigation. It was like the ancient GPS system. So people who would travel on long journeys would follow the stars. They would follow the patterns and the movement of the stars. And the Apostle Paul says that we are supposed to be like stars, stars to the truth, so that people can know how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to live. So we shine our brightest when we hold firm to the truth of God's word. So by staying in God's word, following his script, we then can stay on track. See, we shine by holding firm to God's word. So the next warning is, is that we need to prevent from letting go of his word. We got to stay on the script. The Holy Spirit has given us his word, and now we have to stay true to it. When we begin to deviate from his word, we begin to lose our way on where we're supposed to be going. And Paul wanted the Philippians to be light bearers, light bearers to a dark and dismal world. It's important that we remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. See, we remain lit when we stick to the script. That's right. We light up when we stay and hold on to God's word. It's important that we stay in his word and study his word. When we stop adhering to the word of God, we lose our way. Paul finishes up this section by explaining that he's still filled with joy. Look at what he says. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all, with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. See, Paul's joy is not wrapped up in his acquittal from a death sentence. His joy is wrapped up in knowing that his labor is not in vain. See, that's the wonderful thing about following God's workout. You know that your labor is not going to be in vain that as you work and complete the assignment that God has for you, you can know that this work that you do will have an eternal impact, that it means something, 
that it's purposeful and that you mean something and you are purpose and you have been created for a purpose. So when you pour your life out, you get it. Jesus says that whosoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, that's what God has, has designed us for, to run, to run from something and run to something. See, a life given is a life gained. There's a tendency for us to treat our relationship like a workout. And that's a workout that we keep making excuses to do. We wake up each morning and say, I'm going to work out tomorrow. I'm going to get better tomorrow. But we don't take the steps necessary to make that happen. And I really believe the Holy Spirit can, can talk to us this morning and let us know that there's an invitation to live life with meaning and purpose. There's an invitation that has an RSVP to it, and that is today. To start today. The hardest part for working out is really just starting, isn't it? I keep making excuses. But today, make that commitment to say, God, I know you've called me to a specific purpose. Let me begin to take those steps of faith and experience it with joy, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit that works as our personal trainer so that we can accomplish the, the, the task that he, that he has set for each of us. And that's the joy. The joy is that we live life with real meaning and purpose. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's joyful because we know that we have God working in us to accomplish that task. Are you ready to work out? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for in your word we see that the Apostle Paul challenges us to work out our salvation. And God, I believe that people have been sent today to hear this message. You called them to no longer just come and sit, but to run. To run from something and also to run to something. So God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our personal trainer today. Encourage us to get up and to start doing the work that you called us to accomplish. God, we ask that you would just help us to recognize that this should be done with a sense of awe and reverence for who you are. That you've chosen us as your children. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So God, we ask that you would just impress upon the hearts of your people today to help us to take a step, whether it's registering for the Find Your Place a workshop that we're doing, or to make a personal commitment to study your word. God, help us to stay committed to doing the work that you called us to do here at Central so that we might let our light shine in a dark and dismal world. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand on our feet and worship God.